the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed, and he's here to say good afternoon. Welcome. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. You know, before coming on the program today, I was just sort of uh, taking a little trip back in my uh, my memory to being in this chair behind this microphone clear back in April of 99. What is that, 24 years ago almost? Just, uh, what, a month and uh, 20 days or so shy, 24, five days shy of uh, being 24 years ago when the news began to hit the wire service regarding a tragic school shooting at Columbine. Once we kind of dealt through and processed all that turmoil, things seemed to kind of settle back down again. And then before you knew it, there was another shooting that took place in Oregon State. Well, here we are, 24 near years later. And uh, to put all this in perspective for you, in 2021... The, the the last year for which we have full research information. You want to take a guess as to how many mass shootings there were in the United States? Let me define for you mass shooting as a single event in which gun violence results in four or more people being shot. So if it's three or less, it's not counted in this number. Four or more people shot. In 2021 alone, we had 691 mass shootings. 691. And after Uvalde, one would have thought, okay, we're going to have a day of reckoning here in this country. And then it just seems like you stack the names of the cities like the victims up like cordwood. And I just find it astonishing that we have apparently become such an unbelievably violent society. And by most accounts, the attitude is there's nothing we can do. Just arm yourself. And somehow there's a notion that the more weapons we have, that's going to dissuade other people from using their weapons. I just have to wonder, we're going to get into that, this question with our first guest tonight. Just how many guns do we need then before that crosses over on the continuum and we suddenly find ourselves safe? Joe Murray joins us. Joe is an educator. He is a constitutional lawyer, former speechwriter, best-selling author. 
book is called Take Back Education, and certainly that subject matter crosses over to our topic today. And uh, Joe, as always, we're, we're honored and privileged to have you join us with um, your insights on many of the uh, top stories of the day and their impact on all of our lives. And, and this is certainly yet another one, and, and maybe even more troublesome in that you think if you send your children off to a private Christian school that they'll be safe. So what, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly happen? And yet here we are now, news that yet another shooter killed three students and three staff members and apparently illegally bought seven weapons in very recent years, some of which were used by the attacker Audrey Hale, age 28, to uh, carry out this latest version of Carnage, and I just have to wonder: um, is, is it even pointful uh, to to ponder when will it all stop, or is this the new norm? In your opinion, do we just have to, Joe, kind of accept this as this is the direction down which this country is headed? We have embraced violence in our entertainment, in our films, in our movies, on our television, in our video games, and of course, obviously, on the streets. And so, therefore, welcome to Wild West version number two. Well, and Craig, I think uh, uh, great to be on the show. I wish it was under better circumstances, but I think your timeline is very indicative of, of what has happened as a culture, because I think my generation, being a Gen X at 45, through school, where the biggest controversy was who was going to get caught smoking in the boys' room. Um, you know, we, we did not have active shooter drills going to school. And I think if you were in the 80s or the 90s, the, the early 90s, the 80s and the 70s, you didn't fear this. Now, I know in the 60s we had, uh, you know, duck and cover uh, back in those days. But you have to ask yourself, what changed? It's almost as if a switch was flipped. And this became the norm. This became an acceptable way. And if somebody comes to you and says it's the guns or somebody comes to you and says, you know, it's media, I think these one answer solutions, they're, they're just too simplified. I think what we have been seeing over the last 40 years is sort of a deconstruction of our society. And that deconstruction has, has taken away many of society's fail-safes that will prevent this type of behavior. Because here's the thing, Craig, we can, we can legislate as many laws as we want, but no amount of law can change the hearts of man. And if the heart of man is, is tainted and fallen, then you can pass a law saying you cannot buy a gun, but that's not going to change that heart. And I think that is where we are. Man is naturally fallen. We know that. We read the good book. But over the last 2,000 years, the Judeo-Christian ethic has been put in place by society to resist that evil, to keep that evil in check, to be the moral compass, the natural law that leads us to good. But what have we been deconstructing over the last 30 years? It's those very fail-safes that are supposed to keep evil at bay. So yes, so now what we're going to have is we're going to have teachers potentially being armed. We're going to have more criminals being armed. And it's almost as if we're back to the wild, wild west. Guns are not the answer here. They're also not necessarily the problem. But in our society today, it's almost knee-jerk. As soon as a shooting happens, 
rather than look at the shooting, we get the same cast of characters. You have those saying we have to take all the guns away, that we don't need these weapons, and, and, and the Second Amendment doesn't apply. And then you have those who say that, yes, you know, give me the bazooka. Right, that is my first, uh, my second amendment right. I have a right to use a bazooka to hunt a deer, and I know I'm being a little glib here, but I mean, we never really get to the heart of the matter, which is actually why are people so messed up in the head that this has become an appropriate response to whatever mental issue they're going through. And we try to, I think, sometimes simplify this as, well, it's just a constitutional question. It's the fact that the Constitution hasn't kept up with modern society. And, you know, the Second Amendment talks about a well-regulated militia. Well, this is neither a militia nor is it well-regulated. And the time in which all of this was penned, you know, the, the kind of gun control that they had to deal with was dealing with bunderbluss. Which, <laughs> you know, what can you do? Get off one round in like 20 minutes by the time you, yeah. you know, tamp reload and so on and so forth and 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 you know to your point and then we'll pick this up after the break i go back on this program a lot of years and when i began to see things like the the violence chip was being added to television because we thought that would better control uh, the kind of programming that our children were you know being exposed to and we needed to have you know i mean when i was a really young kid uh r-rated x-rated pg rated none of that existed you just went to the movies and there were certain types of films that you weren't allowed to see because your parents didn't let you and now we've tried to put in kind of a false equivalency of these rules and regulations but at the very core um we we've we've not dealt with a why culture or society rather seems to be so angry and we have continued to dance around for me what is one of the core topics related to all of this and that is why don't we have a nice a national dialogue pertaining to the amount of violence that we expose ourselves to uh, fairly even celebrate that I think is is certainly changing minds as it is in fact impacting behavior and when you add to that a, a, a corrupt heart what scripture says that you know man, man's heart is evil and desperately wicked who can know it it all comes together I think as a pretty um, dangerous cocktail and at the end of the day quite frankly our culture our society our fault Joe Murray is with us tonight he is an educator constitutional lawyer, former speechwriter for um, former presidential candidate Patrick Buchanan, and author of the best-selling book, Take Back Education, which is available through the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. When we come back, we'll discuss more about the whole issue of violence in society today and, and how it is that we've gotten this far. It's one thing to call degrees of violence, whether you're watching a war movie or a gangster film of the 1930s as entertainment. But now, for increasing numbers of people, it seems as if violence is the only the only answer to work out our differences. We even see some of this being suggested in the political arena. Our conversation with Joe Murray continues right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. One of the uh, 
members of the House of Representatives from Tennessee, when when asked about the shooting, literally within hours of it happening, um, in the course of the the report or the dialogue with the reporter, eventually said, "Well, there's just nothing we can do," and and sadly, that seems to be. Part of the take on one side that there's nothing we can do. This is a constitutional right. We need to protect those rights. And as Joe Murray pointed out before the break, uh, it, it almost seems as if the same identical rhetoric is being used by both sides of this equation. Every time this happens, we get one group that wants to opine about, well, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims, but after all, Second Amendment rights, we have a right to protect ourselves, and if we just have more people, more honest people with weapons, we'll be able to stem the tide of this kind of violence. And of course, the other side that argues that there's nothing we can do but just eliminate uh, weapons altogether, and is often the truth, it lies somewhere in between. And yet, Joe, the ability for us to try to find that between, find that middle ground seems to be sorely and horrifically missing. And I have to just wonder, I'm going to come back full circle to my my opening question. Is this the new norm? Do we just have to get used to this and accept it as, you know, it's it's part of life in America? You know, we have to pay taxes every April the 15th. And, uh, and we have to deal with the fact that we may send our children off to school in the morning and get them back in a body bag that afternoon. So how do we get a dialogue going that forces America to face what she seems to be reticent to face, and that is our our, our own sense of disconnectivity from that Judeo-Christian ethic that you referred to a moment ago, and our apparent unwillingness to really confront ourselves and ask the, the important questions. Why are we so enamored with violence in this country as a form of settling disputes, uh, entertainment, um, you know, up, up to and including even degrees of violence beginning now to creep into the political dialogue? No, and that's and that's exactly right. I mean, violence is in our DNA, and I'm not just saying America's DNA, it's in humanity's DNA. And it's why we had the institutions and the church to to keep those to keep those temptations at bay. But you know, and this is where I think we really need to have the conversation. Again, I think it is a valid question to ask, do we really need to have private citizens being able to purchase AR-15s? What is the purpose of those? Uh, you know, I think that's a valid question. But on the other side, you have to say, look, you put a rock in, in Cain's hand and Abel died. You put a rock in David's hand and Goliath died. It's not the rock. It, it's the person holding it. And that is what we don't do, because whenever we have these shootings, and this is part of the problem, if it is someone that that is motivated from a more right-wing ideology. That is the narrative. It is the kooky right-wing wacko who took out his vengeance on innocent people because they were able to get these guns so easily, and that needs to be fixed. It becomes political. In the same way here, we're downplaying the whole transgender aspect of this situation, and also downplaying the fact that this was targeted against Christians. So if a white former KKK member had gone into a traditionally black or historically black school and open fired, we this would be blaring all over the airwaves right now. We'd be talking about systemic racism, rightfully so. 
But why are we not talking about the the anti-Christian bias that has been fomented here? I mean, if you have looked all the way back to the Baker case, I know it sounds kind of trivial, but routinely people have sued Christian bakers in order to get wedding cakes. And they've done it not because they really wanted a cake. They've done it to make a send a message and to hurt a Christian baker. It is almost as if we have okayed the hostility and, and the abuse towards Christians. So we can't be surprised when we tolerate something and those chickens come home to roost. So what we have to do in, and this is going to be hard. I don't know if it's in our DNA. If we don't want this to become the new norm, we have to have these hard conversations, meaning we have to start seeing each other as fellow brothers and sisters and not political adversaries. But, Craig, that's a tall order. I well, just don't see it. Maybe 20 years ago we could have gotten there. But I don't see us coming together right now because we are so tainted uh, by by years of, of being burnt by one another. Well, not only that, but it's also, I think, a tall order to your point, Joe, in that, um, you know, sorry to say, but another thing that's in our, our sinful nature DNA uh, is, is greed. And so much of this is also driven by the almighty dollar. And by that, I mean, go to any game manufacturer and say, you know, it's just a little bit over the top. You need to start softening the content. We don't want to be educating nine-year-olds on, uh, you know, the, the, the skill of, of shooting weapons. And so we want to kind of soften things. If they look at you and say, hey, free country, look at how much money our company, our corporation is making. There is no way we are going to change the content, be it in video games or television entertainment or what's acceptable uh, for posting uh, on websites, uh, of course, social media, on and on the list goes. I mean, we have come to embrace this, and part of it, I think, has also been encouraged in a certain direction because they know our, 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 our violent sin nature feeds on all of this, and as it feeds on it, the temptation to feed into it even more because there's money to be made, I think, is a big part of what's problem, part of the problem here as well. Right, and if you look at the trend, and it did start with the video games, and it did start with the movies. I remember watching the original Cape Fear, and it was a great movie. And then I remember watching the De Niro Cape Fear, the reboot, and that thing was so bloody violent, I had to leave the theater. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, whatever happened to leaving a little to the imagination? Thank you. Whatever happened to to the Hitchcock idea that you don't have to you don't have to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Let people imagine. Let people think. Let people use part of their brain. But going to what we were just saying, if you look at what is in front of kids today, everything in front of them from their cell phones, from social media, to their video games. The number one result of their interaction with these things is dehumanizing people. You don't know you don't know the person on the other end of the social media exchange. They have been dehumanized. So you can treat them in a way you probably would not treat them if you were seeing them eye to eye, if you were able to read their emotions, if you were able to read the impact of your words. When you're playing the video game and you run over uh, people just for the sport of it, or if you have a character that has a gun and you shoot that character for the sport of it, that can dehumanize us. What we are seeing is our technology, our advancements, they are continually keeping us apart. And we cannot see each other as equals anymore. And that's why it's so easy to see ourselves as adversaries. That's why when you, you see these school shootings, 
we don't come together to mourn and then seek a solution. We come together to blame. And, and yes, there has to be accountability. But you know one thing that we never really talk about that is a common denominator in all these shootings is I'd like to know what prescription drugs this, this lady was on, this 28-year-old woman was on. What type of antidepressants, how strong were they? Why don't we ever go to the pharmaceuticals and say, look, you are, you are pumping people full of drugs that have serious side effects, that can impact the way they see the world, that can impact the way they process things. But no, we don't do that because that too, as you said, is a is a very lucrative business and you don't want to get in the way of pharmaceuticals. We see it with opioids. So until the people demand enough, and I'm not talking about a rally here or a rally there, we actually have to do, because we can only blame politicians so much, we got to say to our kids, no. You don't get this video game. We got to say to our kids, no, you don't get a cell phone that you can have TikTok or you can have any other social media aspect. You get a flip phone because all you need to do is text and call. But how many parents and how many people are willing to make that decision? Because you said it, Craig, the only way we change is if we make it not profitable. And, and right now it's very profitable because and, of us. And, you know, one thing that I would add to that observation, too, not, not just in terms of um, getting to the bottom of what kind of drugs are being prescribed. I mean, <laughs> how many of us are aware when when Prozac first went out on the market? In fact, to, to this very day, one of the top 10 most popular antidepressant drugs commonly prescribed in the U.S., and yet when it first came out, this is for depression, mind you, the warning shortly came out that it can cause suicidal thoughts. <laughs> and I think, wait a minute. I would suggest that somebody who's dealing with depression to the point where they're considering, considering suicide, I would look at that and say, clearly that medication is not working. It's supposed to make you feel better about things, not worse. And then when you add to it not just the stake that the pharmaceutical companies have in all of this, but let's face it, Joe, and I've said this many times, and I know some people get upset with me when I do it, but I'm going I'm to do it again. We look at what's going on south of the border. We look at the influence of the cartels and the billions of dollars in illegal drugs that are being brought into this country every day. And, you know, I'm constantly reminded that without a buyer, the seller is not going to be around very long. And the sad thing is, yeah, I, I guess to a degree we can talk about drug dealing and the dangers of the influence of the cartels and so forth. But guess what? If Americans weren't shooting it, drinking it, smoking it, or popping it, then the drug dealers south of the border would have no clients. And this whole thing would just dry up overnight. What's going on in the very soul of America that we feel as if we need to anesthetize ourselves with either crack cocaine, heroin, marijuana, you know, on and on the list goes. I know some will hear that and say, oh boy, he's now going to get into a speech about gateway drugs. No, I, what I'm suggesting though is that there's obviously a degree to which Americans feel that they need to medicate themselves, to anesthetize themselves, to deal with the everyday life. So, you add the influence of that, plus the influence 
influence of pharmaceuticals plus the influence of all of the the media companies that that greatly benefit from this. I mean, boy, how far we've come from the day when, uh, you know, Hitchcock's psycho just suggested certain things. You never actually see the woman in the shower get killed. Now, you're going to think that you have seen that because he suggested it. But in fact, it never appears on screen. Now, fast forward 30, 40 years and look at the kind of violence that showed up in the Saw series of films. And there was all laid out for everybody to see. Don't tell me, Joe, that all of that doesn't ultimately have a cumulative effect on the heart, the mind, the psyche of those that are consuming all this. And and you're 100% right. And what happens, these movies are blockbusters because, again, they play to our to our not our better angels as Abraham with Lincoln would say and and they play to our our base desires and as we started at the beginning of the show who what was the institution what was the ideals that kept those base desires in check that was the Judeo-Christian ethics that was the importance of the family when Dan Quayle got up in the early 90s and said hey look maybe we shouldn't be celebrating Murphy Brown as a single mother because we need to have a two parent household he got he got ridiculed he got run out of Dodge and now look at what's happened the family unit has fallen apart and when we talk about gender ideology in the classroom we are telling boys they can be girls and girls they can be boys and they're, they're is no such thing as gender there's a third gender these are all important things that kept our society from going adrift and what we have seen whether it's from lack of going to church whether it's from from not resisting that violence because you are right that those images plant seeds in our head and they play with your head and that is why it's best not to be there you don't want to hang around a sewage dump because you will smell like sewage and the same thing you don't want to go to these movies because you can't really leave them you know that's one of the reasons I hate it cigarette smoke because even if you didn't smoke if you went through a room of smokers you smelled like a smoker yep. uh, when you left and the same thing applies to this violence but you know we like to blame oh it's the guns or oh it's the pills or oh it's all this stuff and you are 100% right no it's us if there wasn't a market it's 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 economics 101 if there wasn't a market for it it wouldn't be here so yeah you can try to blame the nra or you can try to to blame nancy pelosi or whoever's out there but at the end of the day we got to start recognizing our own uh culpability in this this country needs to have a nice long hard look in the mirror and recognize that a big Part of the problem here is we ourselves. What's the old line? We've met the enemy and he is us. And and sadly, that seems to be where we are today. And there is no sense of self-control anywhere, be it the citizen on the street to the company that's making the films or the video games that says, hey, I don't need to show any constraint because I'm making money and this is America. That's what it's all about. Well, guess what? Uh, You know, we, we wind up with the kind of society, sadly, that we have manufactured for ourselves. It wasn't always like this. We used to know what self-restraint was. We used to know what self-policing looked like. These days, all limits are off. And then we want to have conversations about putting up walls to prevent the mean people from selling drugs to us. Well, you know, that, that maybe is a solution. But you know what the solution is? People have a confrontation and, and, and get to the heart of why they feel that they need it in the first place. If they can, if they can answer that question, then maybe 
the compulsion to act out in violence or the compulsion to um, to do the drugs will disappear. Wouldn't that be pleasant? We're going to come back with some more thoughts from Joe Murray. He is a best-selling author. His latest book is called Take Back Education. He's also an educator himself and a constitutional lawyer. Brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back with best-selling author, educator, constitutional lawyer, Joe Murray, when talking about the tragic shooting in um, Nashville at um, Christian Church there that claimed the lives of uh, three teachers, three adults, and three children, all about the age of nine years old. And I know I say that, and it, it doesn't even seem in myself to to sort of conjure up the same feelings of revulsion as these used to because it becomes so commonplace after a while, so frequent. I talked about the statistics earlier on of the number of mass shootings in America just in one year. After a while, it's like, you know, how many times do you need to hear about it before you just kind of begin to go numb? One of the other aspects of the dialogue here, Joe, I think we need to have some some honesty, too. You know, we we, we tend to immediately go for the extremes, and both sides do it. Uh, You know, and, and in particular, I'll hear people say, well, that's our Second Amendment right. Most Americans say that they they want to carry a gun for protection. The argument in Texas used to be, well, we need to have open carry laws because if the bad guys see that we've got guns, then, you know, they're, they're going to be less motivated to uh, to behave like bad guys. Sadly, though, reality has proven just the opposite effect, that it seemed to do nothing to stem the tide. I mean, if anything, we're seeing more and more of these mass shootings taking place in conservative states. And as I've heard this this argument about, well, we just need to make sure everybody is, you know, weaponized. And, you know, when we do that, we're just going to we're going to discourage the bad guys from behaving like this. And I have to wonder, in a nation where there are more guns than there are people, in fact, there are 120 firearms for every 100 U.S. Citizens, I have to wonder, and I, and this is a rhetorical question, obviously, I'm going to say that in all fairness, but I have to wonder, at what point do we see that crossover, that we've got enough guns to dissuade enough of the bad guys to stop behaving in a bad way? Is it 150 firearms for every 100 citizens? Is it 500? What, what's the number? That's a great question, and I think part of the problem is if we're going to take that logic to its conclusion, the only way it works is if those guns are evenly distributed, which we know they're not. So, I mean, if you are in a society where everyone walking on the street is packing a firearm, maybe that logic works, or maybe you set the case for for a potential disaster. But the fact is, not everyone is carrying a firearm. It's only a select few. And the other aspect is, these criminals, they're not always the brightest bulbs in the box. They're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, regardless, if they had any if they had any concern about self-preservation or well-being, they would not be a criminal. So the only way that you can do this is, is fear. And I don't think just people having guns is is enough to, to stem that tide. Uh, because you also have to, well, is the person carrying a gun lawfully? Are they qualified to carry the gun? Now, we know that there are training programs, but we also 
know you need a driver's license to, to drive a car and how many great drivers are out there that are not so great <laughs> I mean just because you have a driver's license doesn't mean you're really qualified to operate the motor vehicle just go to any freeway at rush hour so there's a whole bunch of stuff that when we get lost in the weeds with that argument and that's why I too don't like that argument because it brings us to down too many rabbit holes again we have to go back to the main main question of why why are people doing this and and I will say though Craig I will say this if you if you kind of got the early reports of this shooter's manifesto she was careful in charge in, in selecting schools that she thought were not secure. So what does that mean? If we really want a way of, of beefing up and protecting our kids, that means we know that these school shooters are looking for the weakest link. We know that they're looking for schools that will not be protected and have easy access points. And I'm sorry, we send how many millions, if not billions, over to Ukraine to protect that country in a, in a dispute that really is none of our business? But why are we not using that money to protect our schools? No, the bigger to question, make- Joe, let me interrupt. The bigger question there is that when we came off of the heels of what transpired in, in, in Minneapolis and, and there was a lot of anger in terms of, you know, some of yep. the excesses of, of police behavior, and that's when we first saw some of these comments about, yep. you know, defund the police. One of the issues that we immediately saw was that schools that would have typically a police officer on duty, on grounds, during school hours, five days a week, every day the school is open, they are there. Oh, let's get rid of them. That's the wrong impression, the wrong image we want to have. So even the people that are most qualified to deal with this at the onset, before they can penetrate the school, there have been some aspects of our of our society that says, "Oh no, we don't want that." Now, you know, I'm I'm going to hope that they're beginning to rethink that idea. In my mind, listen, if this is a vulnerable location, it's like a bank. Where do you need to have the guard? The front door of the bank, so they don't try to get in and rob you. If you've had issues of people robbing the bank, guess what? Time to uh, you know, time to get yourself protected. We need to do the same thing. I think for schools. Exactly. I mean, and this isn't, we're not, we're not guessing here, Craig. We're, we, her manifesto stated that, look, there was, a, what, two or three other options, and she chose this one because it was vulnerable. And, and that is, I mean, to a way, I don't want to ever concede that this is the new normal, because I think that's too much of a give. But if we're going to stem the t- side, we're not going to be able to do it ourselves, not anytime soon, maybe one day. But these are real, tangible things we can do. Get one or two police officers. Make sure maybe ex-military men. These are all ideas that have been floated before to come around and, and show their presence at the school. Make sure that older buildings don't have vulnerable glass doors that can just be shot out and someone can walk right through. Uh, yeah, they might not look pretty, but we need to make sure that the schools are safe. And, and here's the thing. Kids are resilient. Uh, I'm not worried about a child's self-esteem when they see a police officer or maybe go into an ugly building. I think we should be more concerned about somebody getting into that building that could potentially end that child's life. So and I, our priorities are so out of whack right now in the sense of what we want to do. But if we want to make sure our schools are safe, we make them very unattractive to those who want to get into them. And how do we do that? I know it's horrible, but it's security. And it might not feel, be the greatest to see three or four police officers at your child's school, but if those three or four police officers or former veterans are at that school, odds are your child's coming home. 
Well, and Joan, I know you need to run, but, you know, and, and to your point, listen, I, I detest the hassle of going through security at the airport. And I always joke about you, you know, get up, shave, shower, get dressed, go to the airport, get undressed, <laughs> get inspected, get dressed again, get on your airplane. Uh, you know, I, I would rather there not be all that security. But if that's the answer to prevent from the airplanes from being hijacked or or taken down and killing 350 people on the airplane that I'm also on, then you know what? Uh, we have to live with it. And I think we need to decide, uh, you know, what the exchange, what the trade-off is going to be, number one. And number two, start asking the serious questions. Why do we think it's necessary to have this kind of violence and entertainment? When are we going to start pushing back on on the, 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 the video game producers, the television producers, any of those that are in the entertainment world and say, enough is enough. And then on top of that, of course, begin to to have a serious dialogue as to what's going on in the heart and soul of America, that we feel that this sort of behavior is necessary in the first place. Joe, I know we've just scratched the surface, and I, I, I sadly know that we're going to undoubtedly at some point talk about this again, because undoubtedly it's going to happen again. But hopefully, at least today, our conversation has pushed people, and even if it's only by a couple of millimeters, in, in the right direction of asking the right questions. Well, Craig, I enjoyed it, and hopefully we won't have to do it again, but I think you and I both know that will probably not be the case. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Meanwhile, of course, these issues also reach into what's going on within public education these days, and uh, uh, clearly there has been a major paradigm shift there as well. You want to get some insights as to what has happened, and most importantly, how can we can restore a sense of normalcy to public education? A new book called Take Back Education, written by uh, Joe Murray, is available bookstore throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. Joe is an educator himself. He is also a constitutional lawyer and former speechwriter for Patrick Buchanan. The book called Take Back Education. Joe, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights. Wow. So that's... um that's what we're facing. That's what we're dealing with here. Um, and And I really think we need to stop... Going for the 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 easy out, the easy answer. I mean, how many times you can almost guess? It doesn't matter what position you are, whether you're pro-gun, anti-gun, lover of the Second Amendment, think it ought to be abolished, believe everybody should have a gun, or believe nobody should have a gun. When these events happen, everybody, no matter what your position is, knows exactly what the other side is going to say to respond to all of this. We need greater gun control laws. We need to restrict. We need to outlaw certain types of guns to the, well, we just, you know, we're heartbroken by this. Our thoughts and our prayers go out to the victims. And what a tragedy. But you can't touch the guns because if you do that, only the criminals will have guns. We can predict what each side is going to say. Why don't we stop with the nonsensical roundabout merry-go-round rhetoric and actually start asking questions. Okay, we know somebody's pulled the trigger. We know that they've probably bought more guns than they need to or an assault weapon that's not really necessary. It's a given. What's going on in a person's life that is motivating them, driving them to act out this way? What kind of anger is down in there? And what can we do as a nation to come together to try and 
pour a little bit of salve onto that wound and maybe de-escalate. And this goes across the board because, as I said earlier, it's not just violence that's taking place within video games, television, internet, entertainment, but even in politics. You know, the, the, these, these kinds of discussions that we have heard over the last several years, my goodness, you got to look at that and say, what is going on in the heart of this nation that we feel compelled to behave this way toward each other? The dialogue has shifted from there are people that have differing viewpoints and differing ideas, but we need to come together and try to, you know, live in harmony, create a compromise that will be everybody gives a little bit, everybody takes a little bit, but create that that sense of a reasonable compromise so we can all get along instead of immediately couching each other in terms of the enemy. That we're, we look at fellow Americans as people that are be, to be defeated. And even when I hear remarks about, well, this group or that group hates America. Really? I mean, what does that even mean? Now, there may be behavior that we find reprehensible. There may be ideals that we thoroughly disagree with. And the outcome of some of those ideals and behaviors and even legislation may be extremely destructive um, and may wind up in a sense of self-destruction. But I, I, I don't know that we can necessarily just use the simple excuse that every time we find somebody that doesn't agree with our viewpoint that we immediately couch them as the enemy and proclaim for all the world to hear that they are haters of America. If we continue with that kind of rhetoric, guess what? We're never going to come together to discuss these issues, and it will ultimately become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And America will join a long list of other societies and other past nations that collapsed, went into ruin, and then got forgotten to history Because we've met the enemy, and he is us. We're going to take a time out and back with more as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 